Can I have your attention? Hello and welcome into another Theology on Tap. Um, as many of you might already know, my name is Brendan. Um, I'm the Young Adult Coordinator for the Diocese. Um, so tonight we have Dr. George speaking, um, and I will introduce her in a moment. Uh, but before then, I just have a couple of announcements to make. The first announcement I would like to make is actually for a parish event at St. Veronica's. So I don't forget, Michael, I don't know where you went, there you are. Okay, so this is for St. Veronica's. They're having a barn dance on November 12th. Uh, so it's coming up, less than a month away. Uh, this is their, uh, they do this twice a year. Uh, it's at 7.30, they're gonna have contra dance, country line dancing, Texas two-step, lessons will be provided. They're gonna have fall goodies, and it's only $10. All people who are 20 to 30 years old are welcome. Um, this event draws people from all over, from Maryland, from Virginia. So if you're interested, please uh, check Facebook for more information. So that is the St. Veronica Barn Dance, November 12th. So that is the one announcement we have from other groups. And now, every Friday at St. Rita's, there is the Screw Tape Letters presentation by Father Gee, correct? So this is once or once a week, every Friday at 6.30 to 7? 6.30 to 7.15 or so. 6.30 to 7.15, so if you're interested in that, feel free to uh, attend that. And we're talk to Dustin right here. Is the bar dance in a bar or at the church? At the church. But it'll be decorated like a barn. So you're going to pretty much feel like you're in a barn. Cows provided. So on to, on to a more serious note. Um, we are having a talk on religious liberty. And it's a fundraiser for the Little Sisters of the Poor. And this is taking place on November 5th at, let's see, I think it's at Marymount. Yes, it is. So that's November 5th. That is with Father Scalia and Mary Everstadt. Both of them will be speaking along with Sister Rosemary, who's the vocations director for the Little Sisters of the Poor. Um, so this is just a morning-long conference and all are welcome. And like I said, all the profits from this event will go to the Little Sisters of the Poor. Uh, more information can be found on the Office for Family Life Facebook page. Um, or you can go to religiousliberty.eventbrite.com. So if you're interested in that, feel free to talk to me. Uh, I can give you more details. So now, uh, just a few other announcements. As many of you might know, we have praise and worship twice a month. Um, and that is tomorrow night at Our Lady of Lourdes from 8 to 9 p.m. That's the first and third of every month, except for November. We're switching it up. But um, So if you're thinking, I can't make it tomorrow night, but I'll be there for the first of November, don't come because that's All Saints Day. And most churches are going to be having masses that evening, since I believe it is a holy day of obligation. Um, so if you're interested in going to that, though, we have it tomorrow night. 
and we will have it twice in November. Just check the Facebook page. Um, if you like this evening's talk and you're like, man, I just wish I could go to this every single week, uh, Fairfax is having their Theology on Tap next Monday at the Al Shabin. Or if you're like, I don't live anywhere near Fairfax, there's one in Woodbridge as well. So that's next week in Woodbridge and Fairfax. There'll be two different talks. Natalie Plum is speaking at the Woodbridge one. If you know Natalie, go support her. And then Father Dufresne is speaking at the Fairfax one. So if you're interested in hearing Father speak, uh, come out for that talk. Once again, more details to be found online. Um, next month, we are having Sister Claire Hunter speak. Get excited. She's hilarious. She's a riot. Um, so tell your friends, invite your family, bring your kids if you have kids, but don't really. Um, so this upcoming Saturday, we are having our young adult hike, um, and it just so happens that it coincides with the Feast of John Paul II. So his feast is Saturday. What better way to really bring in that great saint's feast than to go hiking? And we'll also start the day with Mass at St. Peter's. Um, so if you're interested in that, people have been posting on our Facebook page for carpooling, because we're hiking at Old Rag, which is kind of a trip. Um, but please go onto the page, find a group of people to drive with, and uh, join us for that great day. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. And the weather right now is looking like it's going to be about 65 and sunny. So, ideal conditions. If you came to our last hike, um, that was pretty much the least ideal condition. So, we're hoping for a reverse. Um, there is a mentor treat. If you uh, are looking at the different tables, each one of them got a nice flyer. If somebody wants to hold one of those up, there it is. So the fall men's retreat, this is run through the Office for Family Life, um, aka through me. So if you're a guy out here and you're thinking, I'd like to finish the year of mercy on a good note, please join us for our men's retreat. Um, the last day of the year of mercy is that Sunday um, of our retreat. And if you know any guys who you're just like, I think you need to go, um, please let them know. Um, but do it in a nice way so they actually want to. Um, it should be really good. We have Father Basil Cole, who's a Dominican preacher. And if you know anything about the Dominicans, they're great at giving their treats and talks. Uh, so it should be really good. And I think we have about 10, 10 or 15 spots still available. Uh, but it is filling up fast. And the last announcement that I want to make is a plug for the other thing on your table, which is our mission trip. Now, for... For some of you, I, one, I can only speak from personal experience, um, but for some of you, maybe you've never been on a mission trip. Um, I was lucky enough when I was in school to uh, go on a, a bunch of them, actually, and I went to Jamaica multiple times, which is right near the Dominican Republic, and if you've ever been on a mission trip, you realize you go in thinking, I'm going to be able to give so much to these people, um, hopefully through my time here, it will be a life-changing experience for them. And then, of course, you leave that week, and it's the opposite. If they gave so much to you, you had a life experience that changed you personally. Um, and it's really one of those things that it does require a lot of sacrifice. Um, just in talking to different people, one of the biggest things that has come up is 
look, that's, I have to take a week off of work. I just don't think I can do that. That's too many vacation days. Um, and I do understand that that is very difficult. At the same time, uh, you know, what better way to use your time than to serve other people? Um, and then the other people, the other thing that I've heard a lot is, I don't have $1,500 to just go spend. Uh, we are gonna be doing a, a multiple fundraisers that will be through the group. Um, also, you can have your own GoFundMe page. Um, so there is alternatives. If you think you know people who'd be willing to give you even half of that, it, you know, really will make the trip much more affordable. Um, but we are coming close to the deadline for that. So if you're interested, please, please come talk to me after this. Um, we still have a few spots available, and we would love to fill that trip so that we have the total group of 20 people. Um, and I mean, like I said, mission trips are really uh, something in themselves, and uh, they, they really, at least for me personally, have been life-changing experiences. So please consider that, pray about it, um, and we'll be having a meeting for that trip on Thursday. Uh, like, so like I said, if you have any questions, please, please come talk to me. Um, the last announcement before I announce our speaker, who is here for the first time tonight? Now if you guys could introduce yourselves to the new people so they feel welcome. We thank you guys for coming. We always love to see new faces. But now to introduce our speaker, Dr. George is a professor of philosophy at St. John's University where she sometimes teaches environmental ethics. She holds a master's in biology and is a member of the Long Island Botanical Society. She's published a number of articles on environmentalism, plus a book entitled Stewardship of Creation, What Catholics Should Know About the Church Teaching on the Environment. Now I give you Dr. George. hear me okay? Yes? Alright, good. So the title of my talk is, It's Hard Being Green, the Catholic Environmentalist. And I admit that I partly picked the title because I am a Muppets fan and I love Kermit the Frog. You probably know that, that frogs are indicator species. When there's any type of um, pollution in the environment, frogs are the first to feel it. But anyway, more seriously, why is it hard being green as a Catholic environmentalist? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Once I put up on my Facebook page a petition asking big growers to secure the plastic that they were using, I believe, to keep weeds down. Um, so with stores like Trader Joe's, I don't know if you have Trader Joe's here, but it's like a big supermarket. Um, so the growers were letting these pieces of plastic blow basically into the sea with the end result that sperm whales were swallowing them and they were dying. Like they found in one dead sperm whale over 50 large pieces of plastic, okay? So I'm putting up this petition on my Facebook page and I get this comment from a Christian friend of mine. Oh, the poor whale, okay? And it was sarcastically meant. The sperm whales are magnificent animals. Another example, there is um, a pro-life group that does really excellent pro-life work. 
um, but this one um, writer for the magazine they put out took it upon himself to caricature um, environmentalist concerns, and I'm going to quote it. I'm actually going to give a lot of quotes from um, Laudato Steve, so I apologize, I, I apologize if I read a little bit. Um, okay, so this person is saying is, is, is mocking the environmentalists, and he says this, We're overfishing the ocean commons. Mass extinctions of commercially valuable fish are just around the corner. We will all starve. Okay. Well, first, what environmentalist claims we're all going to starve if we overfish the oceans? And yet, isn't it a problem overfishing the oceans? Actually, 7% of the protein the human race ingests comes from the ocean. Um, and then, in addition, in the encyclical Laudato Sea, Pope Francis, when talking about how environmental abuse affects poor people more than other people, says this, and I quote, depletion of fishing reserves especially hurts small fishing communities. So it is a problem. It's not something to, to make fun about. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, I once heard an expert in mosses, and I heard this directly out of his mouth. The human species, a, mo a moss species, they're both equally valuable. And this is something you hear a lot of times from secular environmentalists. They don't want to say that there are any higher species, lower species, better species, worse species. We're all the same. We're all equally valuable. And then some people even go further and regard us as a major problem. So for example, the head of the UK Green Party, Jonathan Porritt, who chairs the United Kingdom's Government Sustainable Development Commission, said that curbing population growth through contraception and abortion must be at the heart of policies to fight global warming. And then um, another person from the United Kingdom, a philosopher by the name of Dr. Susan Blackmore, she says this, she says, the fundamental problem facing the planet today is there are too many people. For the planet's sake, I hope we have bird flu, or some other thing that will reduce the population because otherwise we're doomed, end quote. Um, but then, on the other end of the spectrum, I once heard a Catholic professor say at a conference, I like children, God likes children, you can never have enough children. Um, so the, the, the Catholic environmentalist takes a middle road between these extreme positions, and as a result, you take flack from both sides. Um, I have to agree with Pope Francis when he says, it must be said that some committed and prayerful, prayerful Christians, with the excuse of realism and pragmatism, tend to ridicule expressions of concern for the environment." End quote. Now, there's also a further problem that's just inherent in environmentalism, and that is that the facts change sometimes. So sometimes what might be good to do at one time is useless at another time. I'll give you just one example. There's so many examples of this. Recycling. Okay, so we know a lot of different materials are recycled. So you have glass, you have plastic, paper, so forth. Okay, does it always get us ahead? The answer is no. Because what happens sometimes with, um, for example, plastic, is there's no demand for recycled plastic at certain times. So what happens? You've sorted all your plastic, but it ends up in a landfill anyway. And I've heard several stories of this, and you probably have too, where people have been made to sort the recycling, and then it all ends up in the same garbage truck and goes to the same dump and ends up in the same place. 
that being said, a lot of times we do know what the problems are. For example, pollution from like coal burning plants, that sort of thing, water pollution. Um, so we shouldn't just pretend, oh, I don't know what to do environmentally, because sometimes we don't know what to do. All right. Now, the Catholic environmentalist is lucky, at least when it comes to general principles of environmental ethics, because we have writings from the last three popes, and we also have um, a document called the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Catholic Church. Has anyone read or even parts of the Compendium of the Social Doctrine? One, two? Okay, great. Um, you, you really should look at it. You can find it at Vatican VA online, and chapter nine is devoted exclusively to the environment, and it's quite lengthy. Okay. I'm going to be giving you a lot of quotes from London Laudato Sea, which is one of the most recent works um, on the environment. So one of the key quotes in that document is this. Living our vocation to be protectors of God's handiwork is essential to life and virtue. It is not an optional or secondary aspect of the Christian experience. So again, living our vocation to be protectors of God's handiwork is essential to the life of virtue. Now, this is not anything new. This goes back to Genesis. God put Adam and Eve in the garden to till it and to keep it. Now, there's been a whole lot more emphasis on the keep part in recent times, the reasons that I'm going to talk about. But first I'd like to talk about how Pope Francis' encyclical Laudato Si is in continuity with previous church teaching on the environment. And then I'd like to talk about why the change in emphasis in recent times. So at the foundation of the church's um, environmental ethic is its theology of creation. And the compendium of the um, Catechism of the Catholic Church pretty much puts in a nutshell what the Church's theology of creation is. It first asks this question, and I quote, What does sacred scripture teach about the creation of the visible world? It then responds, Through the account of the six days of creation, sacred scripture teaches us the value of the created world and its purpose, namely to praise God and to serve humanity. So elsewhere in church documents, um, the two central purposes of creation are elaborated on. When it comes to the purpose of praising God, individual creatures praise God simply by being what they are. If you think about Genesis, after God creates everything every day, he looks at it and he sees that it's good. Creatures have intrinsic goodness. Another way that individual creatures praise God is by forming, forming part of an interactive and beautiful whole. And the last way that creatures praise God is by leading us to praise God. Now, when it comes to earthly creatures' service to, to humanity, they do so obviously by sustaining our bodily lives and our physical well-being. But they also allow us to arrive at natural knowledge of God's existence. And this knowledge leads us to praise God, to love God, and thus links the two purposes of creation, namely to serve us and to serve God's glory. Now, the notion of stewardship links the church's theology of creation to its environmental ethic. So the notion of stewardship is creation belongs to God. When you're a steward, the stuff doesn't belong to you. So creation belongs to God. And God has put us at the head of earthly creation to take care of creation so that it fulfills God's purposes. 
And the reason that he did this is because we, of all earthly creatures, are the only ones created to the image of God. And so in the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, it says, quote, at the summit of this creation, which was very good, God placed man. Only man and woman among all creatures were made by God in his own image. The Lord entrusted all of creation to their responsibility, charging them to care for its harmony and development. The special bond with God explains the privileged position of the first human couple in the order of creation." End quote. So this is something that a lot of secular environmentalists reject, that we're radically different from other creatures. There's something special about us. And yet, if this is the case, then, as Pope Francis points out, Human beings cannot be expected to feel responsibility for the world unless, at the same time, their unique capacities of knowledge, will, freedom, and, re and responsibility are recognized and valued." End quote. So what we're supposed to be doing as stewards is avoiding needless destruction of non-rational beings because of their intrinsic goodness. We're supposed to avoid destruction of species because species are what forms part of the interactive whole that gives glory to God. We need to be contemplating creation so that our minds are raised to God. And we need to be making sure that creation is meeting the needs of every member of the human family. Now, why is it that it's in recent times the church has spoken so much about the environment and not so much in the past? Well, I think there are at least four reasons for this, the first of which is linked to this, these facts. It was only pretty recently that human population grew to a large size and industrialization took place. And it was only then that it became apparent that we were capable of widespread and kind of obvious damage to the environment, and consequently to people who depend on the environment. So if you look at the history, for example, of air pollution, it wasn't until the 1800s, really, that it was a problem. So in Great Britain, where the Industrial Revolution took off, they started burning a lot of coal, and they also used coal in heating their homes. And the end result of that was there was a lot of smog, and the death rate went up drastically. And so then people started, for the first time, making laws. So for example, the 1975 Public Health Act contained the smoke abatement section to try and reduce smoke pollution in urban areas. So it makes sense. Now, looking at another aspect of the environment, I'm sure that people have always figured out that human excrement and water fouls it. Um, but we didn't realize that it was such a problem at such a big scale. We really didn't have a full understanding of, of the necessity of sanitation. And the first um, sewage treatment plants were only built like in the, in the 1800s. Then lastly, talking about extinction, it really wasn't until um, 1681, when the dodo bird went extinct at our hands, that we realized that we humans can actually cause extinction. So again, in, in the olden days, you just saw trees and trees and trees, and it, it really didn't occur to you that resources were limited and what we would do to them could hurt other people and could damage the environment. Um, of course, nowadays, we know in a whole lot more depth what these different damages are. So for example, just to talk about burning coal, one study in Texas indicates that pollution from coal plants shortens the lives of about 1,000 Texans each year. Each year, about 140 lung cancer deaths and about 1,700 heart attacks in Texas 
are attributable to coal um, plant fumes production. Um, and then a study produced by the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio found that autism increases by some 17% for every thousand pounds of mercury that's emitted locally in Texas. So we know in a whole lot more depth what we're doing to the environment and how it affects human health. I'm sure you're aware that somewhere between 600 million and 800 million people on our planet do not have access to clean drinking water. Um, but we have a lot of problems in our own country as well that are closer to home. For example, toxic waste dumps. They're not only in developing countries, they're here in the United States. And who lives near them? People who can't afford to live elsewhere. Same thing with um, bus stations. Buses burn diesel fuel, and diesel fuel produces a kind of particulate matter that's really, really fine, and it can penetrate your lungs, and so it causes a lot of respiratory problems. And who lives near bus stations? Again, poor people who can't afford to live elsewhere. All right. The other um, aspect, though, is which is really obvious nowadays, wasn't so obvious in the past, is that it's painfully obvious that certain people on certain parts of the planet are using more resources than other people. Okay, so I mean, it's always been the problem that some human beings have been greedy and they take more their, than their fair share and that the, then there's less left for other people. But nowadays we realize this is going on globally. Okay, think about us versus a developing country. We're using way more resources compared to those other countries. All right, what other reasons, though, besides the fact that when we damage the environment, it makes people sick and it kills them, which is a big reason, what are other reasons that the church has been speaking so much about the environment? Well, another reason I think is this. It's in a highly technological society such as ours, there's been a loss of appreciation of nature as giving glory to God and as leading our hearts and minds to God. And this was a very common theme in patristic thought, especially in, in St. Augustine. There's quote after quote about how creation is meant to lead our minds and hearts to God. And so I'll quote one of them that's found in the, the Catholic Catechism. Question the beauty of the earth. Question the beauty of the sea. Question the animals that move in the waters. Question all these things. They all answer you. Here we are. Look, we're beautiful. Their beauty is their confession. Who made these beautiful, changeable things, if not one who is beautiful and unchangeable?" And quote. And you can find quote after quote like this in Augustine, so just a very short one from the City of God. Even the most diminutive insect cannot be considered attentively without astonishment and without praising the Creator. And then Pope Benedict quotes the practice of St. Francis of Assisi, which was this. St. Francis always asked the monk in charge of the garden of the convent not to cultivate all the land for vegetables, but leave some for flowers. Moreover, to cultivate a beautiful bed of flowers so that people who pass by would raise their thoughts to God, the creator of such beauty. But if you go into a park, and I often go into different parks in New York where I'm from, 
you'll see so many people glued to their smartphones. They're not looking at the butterflies or listening to the birds. And it's not just grown-ups, it's even like young kids, 11, 12, 13. They're not catching frogs or skipping stones. They're all hooked on their phones. There are two books by which God speaks to us. There's the book of Revelation, which of course tells us about Jesus Christ our Savior. But there's also the book of creation. And a lot of us have just closed that book or discarded it, and we can't be brought to look at it. One of the things I most appreciate about the recent encyclical Laudato Si is its emphasis on the beauty of creation as leading our minds and hearts to God. Pope Francis mentions the word beauty at least 30 times in that encyclical, and I think it's really important. There's some other reasons, though, as well, why recent posts have spoken so much about the environment. And that is, encouraging people to respect the balance of nature is a way of recuperating natural law of morality. So I'm sure you're familiar with relativism, what's wrong for you is okay for me, and vice versa, and that sort of thing. But there's a backlash when we do not respect nature outside us. And there's a backlash when we don't respect nature inside us. And that's one of the messages the Pope's are trying to get across. So, John Paul II, quoted by Pope Francis, says, Not only has God given the earth to man, who must use it with respect for the original good purpose for which it was given, but man, too, is God's gift to man. He must therefore respect the natural and moral structure with which he has been endowed. And I believe it was Pope Benedict who first, was, for, who first in the theological context, used the expression human ecology. In any case, he says, and I quote, we are to defend the earth, the water, the air, as gifts of creation belonging to all. It is also necessary that there be something like an ecology of man properly understood. One must reread Humanae Vitae starting from this perspective. The intention of Pope Paul VI to defend the nature of man against manipulation of him. End quote. And so the well-known commentator on Humanae Vitae, Janet Smith, notes that people are all upset about hormones going into the water affecting frog reproduction, and yet they'll likely put hormones in their own body, shutting down their reproductive systems. It's not consistent. Um, and in the same line, the American bishops affirm, and I quote, respect for nature ought to encourage policies that promote natural planning, family planning, end quote. And so Pope Francis says in Laudato Si, quote, human ecology also implies another profound reality, the relationship between human life and moral law, which is inscribed in our nature. Pope Benedict XVI spoke of the ecology of man based on the fact that man too has a nature he must respect and cannot manipulate at will. Pope Francis then goes on to say, the acceptance of our bodies as God's gift is vital for welcoming and accepting the entire world as a gift from the Father. Also, valuing one's own body and its femininity or masculinity is necessary if I'm going to be able to recognize myself in an encounter with someone who's different. In this way, we can joyfully accept the specific gifts of another man or woman, the work of God the Creator, and find mutual enrichment. So in addition to trying to recuperate some of natural law morality, there's also another related ethical purpose that the recent folks have as far as talking about the environment so much, and that is fighting against certain unethical mentalities. 
mentalities of consumerism, mentalities of materialism, it's all about me sort of mentality. Because what happens then is that we end up treating people in function of how they serve us. And what the popes are observing is the way we treat people influences the way we treat the environment, and the way we treat the environment then has repercussions as to how we treat people. So Pope Benedict in his encyclical Caritas and Veritati observes, quote, the way humanity treats the environment influences the way it treats itself, and vice versa. This invites contemporary society to a serious review of its lifestyle prone to hedonism and consumerism, end quote. And chapter four of Laudato Si says exactly the same thing, quote, we're not faced with two separate crises, one environmental and the other social, but rather with one complex crisis, which is both social and environmental, end quote. And so again, a lot of times, what's at the root of these crises is a certain mentality, a certain mentality that it's all about me, and people and the environment have value to the extent they serve me, otherwise they're disposable. And so um, Pope Francis observes, in the, in the absence of objective truths or sound principles, other than the satisfaction of our own desires and immediate needs, what limits can be placed on human trafficking, organized crime, the drug trade, commerce and blood diamonds, and the fur of endangered species? Is it not the same relativistic logic which justifies buying the organs of the poor for resale, or eliminating children because they're not just what their parents wanted? And then earlier on he says this, how can we genuinely teach the importance of concern for other vulnerable beings, however troublesome or inconvenient they may be, if we fail to protect a human embryo, even when its presence is uncomfortable and creates difficulties, end quote. And then yet earlier, the Pope observes, our indifference or cruelty towards fellow creatures of this world, sooner or later, affects the treatment we need out to human beings. So I think that's a really important point that's been emphasized again by all these recent popes, is that there's certain mentalities out there that are both harmful to each other and it's harmful to the environment. All right, so what should we do about this? What should we do to be good stewards of God's creation? Well, the first step is go to a park or beach and unplug. Take out your earbuds, leave the cell phone at home or in the car, and just appreciate nature. Experiencing nature as God's gift motivates us in a deep way to care for it. it creation's a wonderful gift God's given us. And yet we don't look at it. It's, it's like someone gives you a present and you don't even unwrap it. Okay? Virtually all the dedicated environmentalists spent loads of time outdoors when they were young, interacting with nature. And if you take a child out in nature, that is a child as yet unspoiled by electronic devices, they're fascinated by nature. I recently went on a walk with a seven-year-old and the first thing we came upon was a mouse that I think must have been attacked by a bird because all its innards were outside. But the, the girl had to inspect this carefully with a twig and look at that. And then, yeah, I didn't look so hard myself, I admit. Um, so then we move on. We, we came to these kind of 
I think there were wild walnuts, but anyway, the little girl has to open them up and find out what was inside. There was only rotten meat, unfortunately. And then it was the acorns. We had to find out what was inside the acorns. And then we went to a little pond and we were throwing cookie crumbs in. And there were like these bubbles, you know. And we were trying to figure out, is it a fish, is it a frog? And we were trying to get it to come closer. We never did find out. But at any rate, my point being is that children have this wonder in the face of nature. And a lot of us, I think, suffer from what Richard Louvre calls nature deficit disorder. We just don't know how to appreciate nature anymore. So, obviously not all of us have access to like the Grand Canyon or some sort of extraordinary natural site, but honestly just walking in an area where there's some trees um, suffices. I mean, there are all sorts of things in trees if you look at them, actually, instead of at your smartphone. Um, there's squirrel nests, there's bird's nests, the leaves actually change colors. Um, and not only on the picture, in reality, um, there's smells that you can smell, there's things you can touch, okay? There's actually a lot of pleasure you can get from, from a short walk, um, in, in, even in like a, a neighborhood, as long as it's wooded. I mean, go back to what St. Francis was saying. He's telling his monks to plant a lot of flowers so people's, people see them and their, their hearts and minds are led to God. So it doesn't take a whole lot. And if there really aren't any trees in your neighborhood, you can grow something inside, okay? You can cultivate an appreciation for nature if you want to, if you want to, that's the main thing. Um, I have to say, I, I once told a friend of mine kind of guiltily that I felt closer to God when I was in nature than when I was in a church. And mind you, I, I fully believe in the real presence. I go Eucharistic adoration, okay? That's not the problem. But I tend to feel closer to nature, I mean, closer to God when I'm out in nature. Now, why is that? Well, my friend pointed this out. When you're in a building, it tends to make you focus on your inner world, okay? Your problems, your sins, things you want to talk to God about. But when you're in nature, it pulls you outside of yourself because there are all kinds of fascinating and beautiful things that you see. And then, at least in my case, a lot of people's cases, very naturally leads us to the Creator, who is the one who gave us all these beautiful and amazing things. Oh, and then the, I just wanted to add a little quote from the Divine Office. The Divine Office says this, Our hearts are filled with wonder as we contemplate the works of the Lord. We praise the wisdom which wrought them all as we contemplate the works of the Lord. But how many of us are really doing that? All right, the next step that I think we have to take is to put a face on the consequences of the environmental choices that we're making. Because a lot of times we, we do things without really thinking how it affects other people, because we don't know. And there are a lot of lists online, here the internet is our friend, there are a lot of lists online of like the top 10 um, environmental documentaries. And I'm just going to mention three, but there are really a lot of great documentaries out there. One of them is called Tap, and it's the story of bottled water. And one of the most striking scenes in that documentary is when they show people who are living near a plastic producing plant. And just for your information, um, the pollution from plastic producing industries, and I quote, 
emit large amounts of carbon monoxide, if we all know that kills people, right? Dioxin, um, hydrogen cyanide. These gases pollutants cause respiratory diseases, nervous system disorders, and immune suppression in human beings. Um, so but the, the advantage of the documentary is you actually see the people and they're interviewed and you realize these people are sick, they can't afford to live elsewhere, but they're sick, so many of them, because of the pollutants. And that makes you think then twice about, yeah, another bottle of water, I can buy another bottle of water, it's really cheap, I can afford it, it's no big deal. But every time you buy another bottle of water, that means they, they need to make more plastic, right? And that means that more people are getting sick because more of that pollution is put out in the environment. So I think it's really important, again, to put a face on what our choices are doing to both the planet and to other people. Some of you might have also seen the, um, the gyre of plastic. It's absolutely huge area in the ocean that's just covered from gar with garbage. Um, Another documentary, one that I think is almost should be mandatory for every Catholic to see or every Christian to see, is Food Inc. How many of you have seen Food Inc? Yes, good, awesome. Um, it, it really does show all different facets of the food industry, from the exploitation of workers who are raising poultry, to exploitation of people who are not here legally, to um, the inhumane treatment of the chickens and so forth. It just goes on and on and on. But, but again, the beauty of it is you see living human beings who could be like your nephew or your cousin, and you're seeing what our choices are doing to those people. The last one I'll mention just quickly is, is Gasland. And in Gasland, it's basically talking about the effects of pyrofracking on the environment. The most striking scenes in Gasland are when people are just turning on their faucet and then they put a match to it, and whatever is coming out of that faucet ignites. Okay, so that's another one that's worth seeing. But there are many, many others. So again, putting a face on it can then motivate us to make better environmental decisions. So it's really those first two things that I think are important because we don't feel motivated to make lifestyle changes. We're not going to do it. And again, when we have a deep appreciation that the creation is God's gift, and when we see how we're hurting other people, then I think we feel motivated to make lifestyle changes. Now, I don't want to go on and on about lifestyle changes. I mean, you can talk about them for a whole hour, you know, about turning down the thermostat, don't use the AC, that sort of thing. I just want to focus in a general way on um, consumption, on consumption of goods and consumption of food. Um, Pope Francis quoting Pope, Pope Benedict XVI says, and I quote, Purchasing is always a moral and not simply economic act. Purchasing is always a moral and not simply an economic act. So it's not like, oh, I have money, I can buy this. Uh-uh. You have to think about, where is this coming from? How is this produced? What impact is my purchase having on the environment and or on other people kind of on the environment? Um, and both John Paul II and Pope Francis were extremely vocal about the trap of materialism, the trap of consumerism. One of my favorite passages in what Laudato Si' reads this way. Even living on a little, people can live a lot. Above all, when they cultivate other pleasures and find satisfaction in fraternal encounters, in service, in developing their gifts, in music and art, in contact with nature, in prayer. Happiness means knowing how to limit some needs which only diminish us, 
and being open to the many different possibilities which life can offer. And so I think that's so true. There's so many great things in life that are basically free. Um, right before I came, I saw a poster that said, bicycling outdoors is free. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Bicycling outdoors is free. As long as you have a bicycle, obviously there's initial investment. Same thing with music, right? So you can play an instrument, you can get hours of joy out of that, you enjoy the others as well. And of course, again, you might have to pay for lessons too, but that does, that does keep a human being alive, right? Um, but the instrument is the initial investment. And one of my favorite things to do is simply make a meal and then talk to friends. So a lot of the best things in life, as far as I'm concerned, are free. So why are we consuming? Why are we so worried about having the latest this and the latest that? And why do we have to have an outfit like her anyway? And there, there's just a lot of other things we could be doing, like going on mission trips. Um, all right. So the same questions, though, about why am I buying this, we have to start asking about food. And so on the, on the tables, there was a pamphlet from a group called Catholic Rural Life. And actually, I wish they had bundled them, but they have a lot of different cards um, entitled Eating is a Moral Act. So you're most welcome to take them. There are like seven different ones. Okay, so just, there are a lot of information on these cards. I'm not going to go through all of it, but I'm just going to talk about the main points that they're trying to make when they're saying eating is a moral act. So first of all, of course, there's the land. How is the land being treated as far as the, the things that you're buying in the supermarket? And I think we all realize that um, small farmers, they care about their land because it's a heritage for them. And that's also true of a lot of mid-sized farmers as well. The bigger the farm gets, the less personal it gets, and the more it gets to be like a business. And then they don't maintain the, the land in the same way. And so I don't know if you're aware, but there are these areas, there's an area in the Gulf of Mexico um, that covers 8,500 square miles, which is a dead zone. Does anyone know about the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico? A couple people? Okay. You know what causes that dead zone? It's, it's not a, really a local problem. It's a problem caused by large quantities of fertilizer being put on farms way up north. And eventually that fertilizer gets into waterways and gets into bigger waterways and then it ends up in the Gulf of Mexico. What does it do? What is a dead zone? Well, it's an area where there's a depletion of oxygen and so fish have a hard time reproducing. And it also completely decimated the shrimp industry. There was once a thriving shrimp industry in that area and now it's like just about total. There are 12 states currently trying to work on that particular problem, but you and I can, can work on that problem by making better food choices, by supporting small farmers to the extent that we can. I just recently learned there's this great store in, you have in the Virginia area, D.C. area, called Moms. How many of you know about Moms? Is it like common knowledge? Wow, I wish we had them in New York. Um, I realize, though, that organic food is extremely expensive. I mean, I, I've tried to go organic a couple times, not too successfully, because when I find out the carrots cost five times as much, I'm like, oh, wow, I don't know if I can do this. 
Um, but there are, you can always buy at least some organic products, and you can buy things from farmers markets if you have access to a farmers market. I don't know. Do you have um, community supported um, agriculture out here? Yes. You yeah. do. There are there are CSAs. Okay. So the community support supported agriculture, in case you don't know what it is, is basically you pay up front a certain sum, and then you receive um, a certain portion of what a farmer grows throughout the growing season. Um, so. Again, you know, people have different expenses, there's aspect of prudence, but we should try to make wiser food choices and to the extent that we can buy local and we can buy organic, those are better choices. Um, another question that Capital Life insists that we ask is, um, how are the animals treated? How are the animals treated if you're eating meat? And um, again, I mentioned I was a, a Muppets fan, and I, I do love Miss Piggy, but that's not the reason that I don't buy pork. The reason I don't buy pork is because pigs are apparently as smart as dogs. I don't know this personally, but I, I can kind of believe that pigs are apparently as smart as dogs. And yet, if you see how um, pigs are treated, it's, it's absolutely inhumane. We have very low... Um, treatment of animal standards compared to Europe. They put these sows in cages where they can't even move, you know? And I, I just, I refuse to eat meat from animals that are tortured. And I don't think that it's Christian to do so. The Catholic Catechism says it's contrary to human dignity to, to mistreat animals. Um, so again, it's not just some leftist hippie thing or something. <laughs> the Catholic Church teaches that as well. Okay, and then another question, how are the workers being treated? Um, I could go off on a long tangent on, on fair trade, but that's really a, a subject for another talk. But um, what about repetitive motion injuries? What injuries do you, what industry do you find loads of repetitive motion injuries? The poultry industry, among others. I went on to the government labor website, and it says that the, uh, the injury rate in the poultry industry is six times that of any other American industry. Yeah. So you're eating that chicken there at $1.99 a pound. Mm, how do they treat that animal? And how do they treat that human being who's on a conveyor worker and being forced to do it faster and faster and faster um, in order to you know, keep up with the competition? Do we really want to be buying that meat? And then lastly, what about our own bodies? It's contrary to the fifth commandment to be putting things in your body that are harmful to it. Um, why are you consuming that high fructose corn syrup? Why? It's bad for the environment. It's bad for your health. Okay, I'm sure most of you have either seen or heard about supersize me. Right? There's a reason they call junk food junk food, right? It's not good for you. So. If, if I would give two specific recommendations, which really isn't the point of my talk, I'm trying to give more general principles coming from Catholic teaching, but if I would give two specific recommendations, the first would be eat less fast food or don't eat it at all, and learn how to cook. <laughs> I am always stunned and horrified to find out that my students don't know how to cook, or they think that cooking means putting something in the microwave. Uh, no. So, actually, I'm just curious, how many of you know how to cook? Raise your hand. Oh, wow, awesome. Only a few people. Okay, well, teach the, the two or three people who didn't raise their hand how to cook. Planet will be better off for it. All right. So, 
Individual lifestyle changes are important, okay? They are important, but they're not enough. Because let's face it, an industry can put way more pollution into a river than I can flush down my toilet, okay? So we, we have to keep on top of industry, we have to keep on top of government, so the government makes laws that really care for the environment. Now, here again, the um, social media is actually a plus, and the internet is a plus. In the, in the olden days, um, I believe this happened in the olden days, at least it was, it was in like the late 80s, and I think the internet really became mainstream in the 90s, right? Is that right? Okay. So, but what, what happened was American citizens actually put pressure on the U.S. government to ban tuna that was caught um, by countries who didn't use dolphin-safe nets. So Americans are like, no, we, we have standards for our own tuna boats, and we don't want to be importing tuna that's catching dolphins for no good reason and killing them. And so it was a grassroots movement, and it eventually put enough pressure on the, on the government so that it, the government made a law banning that type of tuna. But now it's really easy with you know Facebook and other social media to put up a petition. Um, how many of you have heard of the organization that spelled as one word, some of us? Some of us, some of you know about it. S-U-M-O-F-U-S. You should go and you should check because there are a lot of really great um, petitions on that and they're effective. The some of us um, petitions get thousands of signatures, sometimes like 100,000 signatures, and they've been successful in changing policies of really big food corporations. For example, I don't know how many of you are aware that, that palm oil is a big environmental problem. Some of you are nodding your heads, okay? So what's happening is palm oil is being used more and more in um, different food products. It's also used in, in non-food products like soap and so forth. So what's happening in Malaysia is they're burning huge, huge amounts of rainforest in order then to plant palms for the palm oil. Now, not only does this destroy rainforests, it also is endangering animals like orangutans. And, it, and it's, it's, it's also um, creating like a huge cloud, making people cough. Um, and, but, but seriously, a huge cloud over Singapore causing respiratory diseases. Um, so what, what some of us actually successfully did is they put pressure on both um, Starbucks and on Dunkin' Donuts to shift to sustainable palm oil. And right now, at least last I saw, I signed it very recently, there's a petition, um, a some of us petition um, putting pressure on Sara Lee, which is owned by Tyson, to also turn to sustainable palm oil. So it's really easy to post these petitions. They take seconds to sign. A lot of times they're on like auto sign the second time you do it. Um, change.org petitions, there are a lot of them for humane treatment of animals. I'm not saying all change.org petitions are good, not by a long shot, but a lot of the ones that have to do with humane treatment of animals are, are generally, generally quite in keeping with Catholic teaching. And then um, also, um, as far as like what's going on at a government level, Catholic rule of life is really good for informing us about different types of farm bills and what we can do, and we can contact our congressperson and so forth. All right, so in sum, what we need to be doing is cultivating an appreciation of nature. We need to be putting a face on how our consumption affects other people. We need to be living more simply. 
so that others can simply live, as Gandhi put it. We need to be putting appropriate pressure on the, on the government and on corporations so that they um, enact laws and, and they treat the environment in responsible ways. And then, I forgot to mention, uh, another thing we can do, the last thing we can do is group together with others um, who are also concerned about the environment. So if you're in college, almost every, I'm sure, university college in the United States has some type of earth club. Um, and okay, sometimes they're kind of they're kind of kooky, all right. Um, but that's why you should join it, so that you can give it a better direction. Um, then there are a lot of conservation groups, like the National Audubon Society. And again, with some of those groups, you have to kind of pick and choose, because some of them do have like anti-human type policies attached to them. Um, I belong to the Long Island Botanical Society, and I find that that way I have the best of both worlds because not only is there a strong emphasis on like field trips, slide shows, and so forth, so you're exposed to the beauty of nature, but then we're also made aware of environmental problems in our immediate area. But a last suggestion, which might seem a little far-fetched, but I don't think it is, is that if you have a pro-life group that meets on a regular basis, you should spend part of a session on caring for the environment. Because caring for the environment ultimately is a pro-life issue. When we don't care for it, people get sick and they die. So I'm going to close with uh, the quote that I pretty much started with from um, Pope Francis. These are things we need to be doing, okay? Living our vocation to be protectors of God's handiwork is essential to a life of virtue. It's not an optional or secondary aspect of our Christian experience. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so question and answer. If you can just answer the question. Yeah. Um, so, as you mentioned a couple of times, a lot of times, often environmental groups tend to be anti-human on abortion, contraception. Actually, moms donated to Planned Parenthood last year. Oh, no. I actually, I'm sorry, I, I had to mention it. I actually exchanged email with their CEO and he refused to change oh, wow. back on their policy. Oh, that's unfortunate. But the reason I bring that up is oftentimes the U.S. government funds uh, population control and other things. So how do you see the balance when it comes to making public policy would you, do you think it's ever allowable for an anti-human social conservative issues, if you will, to compromise with the environmental left? Oh, because obviously there are different types of scenarios. It's like, I'm just thinking, would I go to moms now knowing that they're, oh, gee. Oh, oh, I, don't, I don't know off the top of my head what you're saying. I'm not to mom, I just had to... No, I know, but that's like a concrete example. Because a lot of times you have to look, because there are different levels of cooperation and evil. And actually the whole issue, I'm a philosopher, the whole issue of cooperation and evil is something that people write doctoral dissertations on. It's not something you can answer by some simple principle. So I'd have to, I'd have to kind of see it case by case. But, in, but again, I, I think it's for us to try to kind of infiltrate some of these groups and, and nudge them in a better direction. Um, as long as, it, it, like an Earth Club, I mean, I sometimes the St. John's Earth Club, some of the things they say are a little questionable, but 
then I, you know, but it does give me a platform then to say other things which which are which are sane. So am I gonna just stop going to Earth Club and boycott Earth Club? I think I do more good by by staying and then raising questions about some of the questionable things they say. So I think there are a lot of different cases. Yes, please. I have a two-part question. Uh, my first question is um, Someone can truly call themselves a Catholic um, environmentalist while not being a vegetarian? That's my first question. Okay. Um, and my second question is, do you think Pope Francis' 2015 encyclical um, was a missed opportunity on the issue being abortion in the pro-life movement? Okay, so the second question was, was Laudato see Pope Francis' encyclical on the environment and missed opportunity on abortion. I, I on contraception, I would say. Well, abortion, I quoted, that quote is about abortion. So he was very upfront, but but honestly, on contraception, huge missed opportunity. Because there you're talking about the natural cycles of your body. And let's face it, the big um, push among secular environmentalists is too many people, or too many people, get rid of them, abort them, or contracept them so they don't appear, you know? So yeah, I thought that, on contraception, I thought it was a huge missed opportunity. Now, is, did, does a Catholic environmentalist, should a Catholic environmentalist be uh, a vegetarian? Um, in Genesis, God, at first God only gives us the vegetables to eat. It's sort of interesting. But later on, he gives us meat to eat, too. And um, as long as the meat is, is uh, raised in a humane manner and humanely slaughtered, I, I see no reason not to eat it, and it's in keeping with church teaching. Is that okay? No? Um, yes. Well, all right, so I want to ask a bit more uh, question. So, uh, where there seems to be a more uh, controversy over, especially between, I mean, I guess you could say, especially between Queen, what's uh, sometime even, it's in the middle, is the, uh, is the issue of uh, uh, GMOs. And I want to know, we think we be both in an environmentalist, what uh, approach that uh, Catholics to take to things like genetically modified organisms. All right, that was above my pay grade. Oh. Um, no, but, but seriously, um, I work with a lot of people who are actually thinking of putting together a conference on this. But this is like such a complex issue. You really have to know the biology. There's not a simple answer. Um, I have a biology background. I talk to biologists all the time. And, I, and some of them are like, we don't know what the long-term effects are on our bodies. Others are like, you know what, we've been breeding animals for a long time, get over it. This is just the faster method of doing that. But one thing I can, I can say is that they have seen that these GMOs sometimes do end up crossbreeding with wild type, with wild ordinary plants, you know? So that could, be, that could end up being a type of problem. You could create a kind of monster. Um, so, but honestly, I think that's a huge question, um, but really, it's, it's beyond my competence to say more than that. Sorry. Yes? But could you provide a framework for considering sort of an act of the sort of Catholic environmental mindset? When you have a trade off of goods, particularly Paul's realm, for example, in India, one in eight snake bites are fatal. Okay. Because there's not enough antivenom. The reason there's not enough antivenom is because it's in refrigeration. Most antivenoms require refrigeration. So, so say that because most antivenoms are what? Required refrigeration. Yeah, required refrigeration. Required refrigeration. Oh, refrigeration. I'm sorry. I didn't hear the word. Okay. So, so, so if you'll refrigerate enough antivenoms, you increase 
power production through those rural areas in India, which would decrease like coal pollution. So how do you sort of get a trade-off where you know, the easiest way to increase electricity in India would be to build more coal plants, but then you're polluting. Right. But then you're saving people's lives by having anti-dynamic Right. And that, that's an excellent question. Okay. So what one of the things that needs to be happening is that richer nations need to be giving to poorer nations better technologies and better financial aid so that they don't have to. I mean, there's coal and there's coal, okay? And there's different ways of then managing the, the pollutants from the coal. So it, it seems to me that, uh, this is not an official Catholic teaching, it's Marie George's opinion, it seems to me that it's incumbent upon the richer nations We've been hogging resources for so long that we should be sharing both our technological expertise and also some of our monetary wealth with these countries so that they don't have to, to damage their own environment in order to raise their standard of living. Um, but that's about all I can say on that. But that's a really that's a really hard question, a really good question. Where's the trade-off? Because honestly, every almost every time, unless we're um, eating a fruit that fell from a tree, almost every time we use the environment, it involves a certain level of destruction. And so there there's got to be a certain measurement. You know what is worth destroying? I mean, to give a slightly different scenario. Um, as, as far as water is concerned, there was actually a Vatican statement that say that you have to destroy an ecosystem by putting a dam up, but by putting that dam up, human beings will then have drinking water. By all means, go ahead and put the dam up. So there's, there's always, human lives always will take precedence, but when, when these situations where it's not so direct, you know, how exactly to balance it, because it's harming other people too, it, some of these, these questions are really, really hard. They're prudential. Yes, go ahead. Um, it's kind of a simple question, but... I'd like to have a simple one for once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start out in the last three. I think it's simple. I'm not so sure it's simple. Um, but I just like noticed, like, just since I'm like living out my regular day, whatever, um, like, I've been noticing more recently how much plastic I use. Okay. It kind of bugs me. Yeah. Like, just because of hearing these stories about like, yeah. animals, and I guess, I don't know, as I'm getting older, I'm more self-aware. Um, But if you're reusing them, reusing them, I mean, plastic lasts for virtually forever. That's why it's such an environmental hazard. So if you're actually using it, the earth is here for us to use. It's not intrinsically evil to use plastic, but it's not a good thing to waste plastic because then more has to be produced with the harm it has on the environment and the people's health. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with reusing the, those things. In fact, that's the beauty of those inventions. Well, I, well, actually, 
also is sort of interesting, so I, was, I was reading before I came, if you forget your cloth bag, which is what you should be bringing to the supermarket, should you take a paper bag or a plastic bag? And it was going on and on and on for so long, and I have a long attention span, okay? I couldn't figure out at the end whether I should take plastic or paper because there was such a big trade-off. Plastic has this advantage, paper has that advantage, has this part, that part, that, and it was going on and on for, for a page and a half, small print. <laughs> so bring your bag, that's that's all the problem. Any other questions? Yeah. And back? Okay, sorry, I didn't see it. Well, this just occurred to me. Uh, as a nation that has kind of a of resources, what do you think the role of like major sports plays in tourism? For example, like we have football season followed by baseball season, followed by basketball season, followed by hockey season. It's like cyclical. We have hundreds of thousands of games, stadiums, you know, parking and emissions. Do you think there needs to be like any adjustment? So, so wait, what are you recommending? <laughs> I'm just asking, like, do you think that these consumers and what what does the career the impact that it has on the environment? Because it also provides jobs, but at the same time, I'm curious. Yeah, you know, I, I never thought about it. So, um, but I, I mean, certainly recreation is legitimate. And, but like, from what I understand, you can tell I'm not a sports book at all, okay, um, but what I'm understanding is that those tickets are really expensive now. It's not like in the olden days when you had $5 and you could go and see a ball game and then like the food, like even the, the, the bottle of water is like $5 now, is that right? Am I wrong? So, I, I, I don't know, I mean, everyone has um, a legitimate need for recreation and what, Recreation for one person is going to differ. Not everyone loves reading Aristotle like I do. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of hard put, but, but I think it's sort of interesting that people should then think of ways to incorporate good environmental practices, because it is such a large scale, that large, a large scale that people go to these games. So I think that maybe you're onto something and you should try to, you know, get a go petition going or something to, to get get a no, seriously, that, that we that people need to think about these problems. That's the problem. We 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 just live our lives and we don't think about the consequences. What is the consequence of me buying this football ticket? And so I think it's a good question. I just don't have an answer, but I think we need to be asking those types of questions. you have a question? Yes, go ahead. What do you think would be more effective to get athletes to, I guess, be more conscious of how we're actually protecting the environment? Because I think we've been talking a lot about like how like one thing causes another thing, causes another thing, and it's a bad consequence for the environment. It's very consequentialist. Do you think that perhaps it would be like more convincing to Catholics if we were to like see this issue through like a very theological lens. Because I'm thinking we're talking about issues of like environmentalism and of um, you know death and the death of you know things in nature and of a passage into life. Um, and wouldn't it be the case then that by trying to restore the environment or participating in Jesus' self-living life giving mission of restoring life, do you think that it's more it's more effective and more persuasive to focus on consequences or to focus on like the internal kind of like dynamic of 
I guess, life-giving misfits at work. Well, the, the, the church does, though, talk about consequences. I mean, when people die, it's not a good thing. And if we're causing people to die, it's against the fifth commandment. So a part I didn't talk about, which is a, a centerpiece of, of the church's theology as far as environmental ethics or ethics in general, is, I don't know if you've ever heard, it's such an awkward expression, the universal destination of goods. Does anyone know what that means? Oh, the universal destination of goods means that the goods of the earth are destined for every human individual to be sustained and live in dignity. Okay? That, that's, that's theology. That goes back to the fact that God gave the earth to rational beings. Not just a one rational being or two rational beings, but by the very fact of rational, you have a right to draw sustenance from the earth. And so I find that that's very theological. It's not just consequential, it's theological. It's what God wanted for the planet. And then I think, again, the other aspect which gets completely neglected is, again, seeing creation as God's gift. And that, that's theology. But as far as salvation, honestly, salvation comes through grace, which comes through sacraments, which are physical, but it's, it's through grace that we're saved, through the, through the cross that we're saved. But of course, if we don't love God, and we don't love our neighbor, and we're doing things to the environment that is, that is causing health problems and death for our neighbor, this, this doesn't please God. So I don't see it as not being theological to look at the reality of human death. I mean, think about the pro-life movement. Are you going to say the pro-life movement's not theological because it's concerned about consequences? Consequences do matter if they're part of God's plan. I guess, I guess my question is more than, this is the general question I've had, um, is the relationship between, I guess, the extent to which Catholicism is a consequential sort of deontological religion. And I don't know, like, that's a you know, question that's completely different. Like, Wait, I, say again, I, I missed the third word. Oh, if it was a consequential sort of deontological religion, like, what is the, what is the base of the Catholic morality? Is it more duty focused or is it more consequence focused? Oh, I don't think it's either. I think, again, the, the Catholic environmentalism goes back to God's purposes for creation. So if we want to be good Catholics, we want to be treating creation the way God intended it to be used. And that's where you just have to go back. Well, what did God create the world for? To, to serve human well-being and to praise Him. And that's what you have to focus on. It's not deontology or consequentialism. It's that we want to do what God wants us to do to be good stewards of the planet. So it's kind of like a, a natural law type morality that God being the supreme being, we ought to follow his, his will for his handiwork.